This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 17, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The anger over proposed cuts to housing and urban development should keep one thing in mind. That spending rollback takes the agency back to just 2014 spending levels. Vanessa Brown-Calder, a Cato policy analyst, explains how the feds ought to be cutting HUD. So the White House released its budget recently, and the Trump administration proposed reducing the size of a variety of different agencies, but one of those is the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which it it proposes reducing by 13%, bringing their total budget to about $40.7 billion. Um, This sounds like a lot. It's a $6 billion reduction from 2017, but I think it's important to keep this in context and note that overall these spending cuts are minimal in the grand scheme of things. $6 billion of cuts is actually equivalent to about half of a percent of the total government welfare spending in the U.S. in a given year, and it is um, slightly a $40 billion budget is actually slightly more than the HUD budget outlay was in 2014. So it actually kind of brings us back to 2014 spending, which doesn't sound quite so dramatic at all. But nonetheless, this news has generated quite a bit of agitation throughout Washington, D.C., as you can imagine, and especially in areas of the country that benefit heavily from the HUD programs that are affected. What was the stated aim of HUD? Yeah, so HUD's purpose is actually to provide housing and housing affordability to Americans everywhere. So how do they go about it? Well, they have all sorts of, they have a variety. They have hundreds of, um, well, more than 100 programs toward that aim. Um, Some of the ones that are specifically going to be impacted by this budget cut are block grant programs. So you have the community development block grants. Um, We'll just call them CDBG, which is kind of a mouthful, but easier than those four words. And those would be wiped out completely if Congress takes the Trump administration's recommendation. Um, Then there's also the Home Investment Partnerships Program, the Choice Neighborhoods Program, and the Self-Help Homeownership Opportunity Program. And all of those would be eliminated as well. And there's a few other ticky-tacky kind of savings. Um, But those programs, as I mentioned, they do a variety of things. So CDBG um, is a flexible spending program with the emphasis on flexible. The funds are supposed to be provided to states, which will then provide them to local government in some cases to do certain urban renewal and anti-poverty programs. And what qualifies is pretty well up to the states and local government. So... Um, In lieu of actually doing things which really target anti-poverty, which are really anti-poverty activities, they have used this money to do things like expand breweries, provide loans to soccer stadiums, um, develop recreational facilities, um, expand expand certain educational programs at zoos, things which clearly don't have hardly anything to do with urban renewal or anti-poverty. And certainly these are things, these are activities that are not going to benefit a lot of low-income people. So the the natural question then is, uh, one, why not just compel this agency to do the things it says it's supposed to do with the money or compel states to do what they say they're going to do with the money? 
or why not just eliminate HUD entirely? Yeah, I think that that is definitely a question that we should be considering right now. So rather than getting down in the weeds and worrying about how there may be some productive program out there that's having some possibly positive impact in a state somewhere, we should be concerned about whether or not actually all of this HUD money is really just a distraction from the housing policy issues that are happening at the local level. Um, I think that there are there's about 70 percent of the CDBG funds are actually funneled to five different cities. Last time I checked, and those are Los Angeles, New York City, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Detroit. And the rest of the 30 percent of the money is allocated between different states, which then provides it to different businesses and nonprofits at the state and local level. But really. This funding is just a distraction from the issues, as I mentioned, that happen locally. So, for example, many cities have very restrictive land use and zoning regulations, and those things drive the, the cost of housing up. But as long as they're able to say, we are pulling in millions of dollars in subsidies for affordable housing, people feel like something is being done about those issues that they're coming into, into contact with. So you're, you're suggesting that if uh, the feds and state and local governments were serious about uh, lowering the cost of housing and creating so-called affordable housing, they would be changing their zoning laws rather than gobbling up federal subsidies. Absolutely. I think that you would at least start there before worrying about the subsidies that you're losing if you were really serious about zoning and you are really serious about providing housing, low-cost housing to your constituents, then you would look within first and see where you can make changes that are actually free to everyone. All right. So um, it seems that there might be sort of a perverse incentive uh, to the extent that housing is less affordable in some areas, and then the federal government is willing to come in and provide subsidies to create affordable housing, it would seem to subsidize precisely those kinds of programs that make housing more expensive. That's exactly right. So certain locations actually kind of get to have it both ways in that they get to zone and regulate in a way that kind of creates a resort-like community um, environment. But then on the other hand, they also get to subsidize themselves um, through federal, well, other states subsidize them for them um, so that they can have also all these programs which are devoted to affordable housing, which then kind of check the box and help them to feel as if they are actively dealing with this problem that they've created. So much of what President Trump has proposed for federal agencies pretty much across the board seems to be a trimming of budgets rather than eliminating authorities or uh, you know, removing tasks that we assign to government. And would it be better or what would be the impact that you see from simply eliminating HUD entirely and either converting that just to checks to the states or not even doing that? Yeah, I think that's a great question and that is what we should be thinking about because at the end of the day, ultimately housing and housing affordability are state responsibilities. They are not federal responsibilities. And many of the things that the federal government has their hands in now are also actually state responsibilities when you get right down to it. So I think if you were to do something more dramatic than what Trump has proposed and actually start eliminating an agency 
or start eliminating sort of the objectives of the agency, then you would end up with a situation where state and local government would have to step in. And you kind of see that that has that that occurs. The academic research says that when you spend money at the federal level, when you provide that money to the states, states actually rearrange their budgets. So they underinvest in the programs that they used to invest in based on where federal funding has sort of filled in the cracks. So they actually just substitute that federal money for state and local purposes rather than adding it on top of whatever they whatever existing programs they have. So I think what you would see if you were to eliminate some of that funding or some of HUD's prerogative is actually more programs which are tied to, which are tightly tied to the needs of the constituents and also programs that um, are more responsive to those constituent needs, and that would be a very good thing. Vanessa Brown Calder is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.